Well, good morning again, Rosemont Bible Church. Uh, it's very wonderful to once again be here with you and have the opportunity together to look to the Word of God. And I hope that as we do so, and we continue our journey in the book of Acts, that we'll uh, all together be encouraged. I hope that my, the meditation and the thoughts of my heart throughout this week will be as well an encouragement to each one of you. So, once again, let us pray together. We are very thankful that by your grace we can come before you again, Father, and that we have the opportunity together to, um, to have your word, to read it, to meditate upon it, and to study it together, and to ponder together on it. And I pray that, Father, once again, as we come before you, as we are empty-handed, that once again, you will teach us. Uh, Father, that's one of the reasons why we come before you, to worship you, to ponder on your grace in Jesus Christ, but also to be transformed by your word. So I pray that as we do so, that you will, even through one word, just speak to our heart, that you will see and more appreciate who you are and your glory through your word today. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, Dave just said, we are continuing our, our trip in the book of Acts, uh, looking at the series that we've started, and I just wanted to remind us of the, um, of the uh, main idea that we, we presented when we started the series, which is basically to look at the, uh, the fact that the story of Jesus Christ as the reason, Lord, is continuing, and that he's uh, continuing to build his kingdom, establishing it by his Holy Spirit through his disciple that he empowers and that he uses to do so. That through them, God is continuing the work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, not only through Jerusalem, but also throughout the world, so that people will be converted and save and join and enter in his family. So this is the scope, the main scope of that big idea, how Jesus Christ is continuing, in fact, to work throughout the, the, the story of the church, and how even today he's still the king and the Lord who is working into a, even to a, to a small church like the, the community here in RBC. So... One of the, one of, uh, we're looking today at Acts 6 from verse 1 to 15, and one of the questions that we might probably ask ourselves as we enter into that passage is how does that passage that we're going to look into today fits into that big scope and that main idea that we brought when we started the series? First of all, we'll find out that the idea of the Lordship of Jesus Christ continues to be carried out throughout this passage that the idea of God building a community throughout the people that he's saving is still in, uh, continuing into that, into that passage. That this community that is being built, which is a peculiar community, is continuing to show cares and love within its own, um, to each other. In fact, that, that, that asked me to, to help you and bring you back to uh, what Nick, our brother, shared with us a couple of weeks ago when we looked together in Acts chapter 4, as we, as we looked to how the community was having everything together 
and sharing everything together, showing their love, their unity, and their communi and co uh, communion through the new faith that they were acquiring in Jesus Christ. Today, in that passage, though, we will see that the ethnical and cultural diversity that we find in the church can be a component of growth as God uses our cultural and ethnical differences for the glory of his name. As we have, you have seen, the title of the, of the passage of, the, of the, 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 the message today is The Family Widens. We'll see that the, the family is getting bigger, but also we'll find that uh, becoming bigger sometimes means having problems. So as we look into that passage, we're going to look into the context of the passage from, chapter, from verse 1, the problem that we find in the church. And as we do so, there is always one question that I want us to have in the back of our, of our mind as we go through each one of the points that I want to touch. What is the nature of the issue that will rise within the church? Is there a solution? And if there is a solution, how did the church handle the conflict? And what was the outcome of that conflict? Then we will look to the testimony of Stephen and his ministry. Who was Stephen and how does he, in fact, impact the history of the, of the church in Luke account? And I will conclude with some thoughts. That being said, I will invite you to read with me the passage of today. Now in these days, when the disciple was increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostle, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as is what called, and of Cyrenians, and of Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him before the council, that is the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the custom that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face looked at the face of an angel. 
Amen. So, looking here, we can look to the context in which this passage is given to us. I want you just want to call your attention on the fact that verse 1 says that now in the time, in the days when the disciples were increasing in number. That's very, very interesting because we see that we are in the context of growth within the church, growth in number. The church, since the day of Pentecost, hasn't stopped to be growing. In fact, interestingly, Act 2 remind, remind, remind us of that fact when he says that so those who received his word were baptized, talking about when, when Peter preached to the multitude. And they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This we find in, 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 in verse 47 of the same chapter. And then it's verse in Act 4, chapter 4. After they have seen the miracle that Peter has, has done by healing the, uh, the, the lame man and uh, hearing the message that Peter and John were saying, it says that the number of the men who came to, to believe came to be about, about 5,000. That's a great number. But it doesn't stop there. Acts chapter 5, 14 tells us again, by show, when he shows how life was in the community, he tells us that, and more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitude of both men and women. So we see that the church is growing, expandedly growing. Not only the church is growing, the message of the good news also is growing, is reaching people. That growth is even... Um, revealed to us through the accusation that the elders of the people gives to the disciples. They tell them, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And our verse, uh, our chapter of today in verse 7 tells us that the word of God continues to increase. So it is within, within context of growth that we are. But always, growth sometimes comes with some issues. I remember that when I was young, I, can, I could run and do many things. In fact, I could sit and take my feet and put it in the back of my, of my, um, of my neck. I was very flexible. Then I started to grow. Today, I'm not even able to take my, my food and put it here because as time goes on, some problems started to appear. So it's inevitable that as growth comes, there will be issues that present themselves to, to, to us. Here in the church, we found that that's exactly the same thing that happens. Issues started to come within the church. One of these issues, interestingly, was brought to us by Nick a couple of Sundays ago, ago when he was, talk, was looking about life in the community, how people were putting things together, and then we had Ananias and Sapphira who were trying to lie to the spirit and present themselves as something that were not. So what is the problem that we found here in the church? Still looking at verse 2, we hear that a complaint from the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
the widows are being neglected in the daily assistance that the church as a community gives to its poor, specifically to its widows. That's interesting because as we look to the book, so far the church has been presented to us as a united community, a community that had in mind the, uh, the, 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 uh, la préoccupation to really care for the poor and for the vulnerable. We see them put their goods together. It's, it's interesting that the word even goes on to tell us that all they had, they put it together, and no one dared to say that what he possessed was his own. Everything was taken, put into the feet of the apostles, and these were used to, to supply for the, for, those, uh, uh, for the needs of those that were needed. But how come that here we found these widows within the church being neglected? I believe that for us to understand that, we need also to look really to the question of actually the picture in which all this is happening. We see we are still in Jerusalem. And we are still in Jerusalem in the midst of the Jewish culture. The church so far is the church of Jerusalem. All the people within the church are Jewish. But something very interesting, this verse tells us that there are two kinds of group in, within the church. The Hellenist and the Hebrews. It's good for us to understand that when he tells you about the Hellenist, he's not talking about people like non-Jewish, like pagans, who are now into within the church. We are still in the church of Jerusalem. This is a Jewish background. The Hellenist of whom we are talking here about, a Jewish believer who have a background of Greek as a culture, but also as a language. That's not surprising. Remember, Acts 2, verse 5, tells us about when, in fact, the message was first preached to the people. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jewish, devout men from every nation under heaven, patients, maids, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the part of Libya belonging to Syrian and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretan and Arabians. All these people heard the gospel. They were amazed to be able to hear the gospel in their own language. So when that first conversion happened, these 3,000 that we are we heard about, it was composed of people from these different backgrounds. Now, into Jerusalem. Many commentators also point out that in that time, in Jerusalem, Jewish were coming back from, uh, from, um, from um, la diaspora, coming back into their country, looking to the promise that God has made to their forefathers. As always, as even today, we'll see many Jews, although they are in every part of the world, who still go to Jerusalem. Many even build their life with the hope of one day coming back to Jerusalem and settle to Jerusalem. So in that context, in that time, you have Jews coming from all these parts of the world and dwelling in, in Jerusalem, and Jews who has always lived 
and uh, in Jerusalem. These are called the Hebrew Jews, talking only Aramaic. Now these people come together, but interestingly, even though they were Jewish, coming back into their own country, sometimes they were not always welcome because of the cultural background that they were in. They were not speaking Aramaic. Most of, the, of them would still use the Septuagint as a reference for the Bible. So, we found that many synagogues were directed in Jerusalem to those group of people. Jewish, but sometimes friction between them because of the cultural background and the differences where we were coming. Jewish from Palestine sometimes feeling more superior because we have always been there, we're living in that culture, and the others feeling sometimes a little bit diminished because they couldn't speak the language, and they were looking to the, by the others as kind of inferior. And that's cultural now comes back to the church. Interestingly, we can point out that sometimes, even if God, even when God saves us, our Prejudices sometimes follow us. We are not always changed completely as we come into the church. We sometimes come without issues. And this is not something peculiar to that time. We found it even in our own time today. How in many churches we still have frictions because of cultural issues, ethnical issues. So this was the underlying problem that was mining or that was coming over was, super, was presented itself through the fact that the, 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 the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected by the Hebraic Jews in the distribution of everyday food. We notice that the church still has in mind this aspect of continuing to, to care for his people which also was very, very important as it was uh, uh, a, 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 um, obeying to a request of the law that we find in Moses. God always showing through the prophets his desire, his heart for the, for the, for the foreigners, for the, um, for, the, for the weak people in, in the body, for the orphans, and for the widows. In fact, James even tells us that the good religion is taking care of the poor and of the widows. So the church, in fact, was doing this, but something was missing. As it was growing and the numbers of people were growing, a need were growing, this lack of, of attention started also to come within the church. And that issue was very, very serious because it was frightening the actual unity of the body of Christ. The barrier in that group, in that community, was not the question of whether they were uh, descendants of Abraham or not, whether they were following the law or not, but just different of, uh, of culture, uh, cultural differences that was growing and showing up. As I said, this shows our human tendency to be partial and discriminative against others, whether on base of race, culture, economic status. That was the danger still, and still the danger even for us today. So if that was the situation, but the issue, how the church went on solving that issue? 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give our, preach, our preaching the word of God to serve table. Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So as we look to how the church navigated through that question, some very points that we need to, to, to notice is that the apostles were made aware of the issue. It was so serious that it came to the apostle. And there, for sure, took the time to deliberate among themselves. Brothers, this is what we are going, what we are facing now with all these things that happened. What should we do? They took the time to evaluate the situation among themselves. And then as a united corp came to the rest of the believers to propose a way. So we propose a solution to the congregation. We notice that they do not make the decision for the congregation. They give a supply, a healthy environment, so that the, 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 the problem will be solved. They, it is the disciple who has to choose the man and present them to the apostle, and the apostle will confirm them in the task that they have to do. I want, just want to take just a moment here to look at something which I think is very, very important, which is how the church is governed. You see, the church is supposed to be governed in the way that is different, in the way that the church government, the, the world, the government works. Many times in the world, you have one person or a group of persons who will dominate others, who will be the one making the decision sometimes even oppressing people. We call them detectors. Interestingly, Jesus Christ, when he was looking to his church, gave specific recommendation to the disciples. He told them that, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that the officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, instead whoever wants to become great among you must serve and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. And then he said also, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servant and in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master find him doing so when he returns. And the disciples heard that. We can see how drastic change came to their life through the Holy Spirit. These people that were fighting among themselves to know who is the greatest. Now, they are the one that leading the congregation. And they understand that as a man, they are a colleague, a college of a group of people who are called to oversee and serve the rest of the flock under the divine supervision of the divine shepherd. The church administration and leading 
is not supposed to be men done by one man alone who has to do everything by the group of people. And I think that here in RBC, that's the reality. Here we are in a community where it was understood that the leadership should be under the College of Elders. And I'm very glad to be part of this College of Elders who understand also that this call is to serve the community. In fact, a couple of months ago, we had to sit back again together to review what is meant exactly to be an elder, what is required, and how we can best do our service as elder of the community. The apostle said that they wanted to devote themselves to prayer and the world. That's interesting because one might think that their response here has a tone of pride because they said, we want to devote ourselves to prayer and the word and not be serving a table. But in fact, what they are doing here, they are looking to the real responsibility that is given for them. They evaluate their primary responsibility and the call that the Lord Jesus Christ has given them. This call, which is stated for us in Matthew 28, verse 16 and 20. It is said that then the, 12 disciples, the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some had doubts. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. As we read closely to this passage, we found that that, that command was given to the 12 disciples. The, the, the primary responsibility to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, teaching the people how to follow and to walk in the, way, in, the, in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ was given to the 12, to the 11 disciples. And they understood that that was, that, that was their mission and they were trying to do their best to respond to that mission, not being distracted by anything else. And they proposed and they were open to give any additional responsibility that might come to their hand to other people who are more capable, who will be capable to do it well without distracting them from their responsibility. As I was saying before, one man cannot do everything. It is important to understand that we need to delegate and include other people, whether men and women, when the task grows and it becomes heavier for us. That principle is always also shown to us even in the Old Testament. As we look into how the disciples were to make the decision of whom we are going to choose, we see that the apostle gave them some framework in which they needed to work some criteria that we needed to look at. It said, people, some people of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. 
I understand good repute to mean that they had a good testimony among the community. They were respected because of, of, of their moral um, uh, infallibility. That doesn't mean that they were perfect, that, were, that they were morally uh, without blame. That there were people who were full of the Spirit in the sense that they were submissive to the work of the, of the Holy Spirit and His direction. I understand full of wisdom to mean that they knew how to apply the Word of God in a healthy way in their circumstances in life. How does the church choose his servant and minister to serve? This is very important. These should be the criteria that the church should be, should be the congregation should be looked into. Many times, unfortunately, we see that sometimes we look to other criteria, like economical uh, uh, criteria, academical criteria, sometimes cultural, sometimes how respected the person is within the congregation, sometimes without having all the spiritual uh, 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 maturity that is, re is required. And this decision also, this criteria are found also in the Old Testament, interestingly. In Deuteronomy 9, uh, 1, verse 9 to 15, Moses speaks to the people and tells them exactly this. At the time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the star of heaven. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your head. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us too. Interesting. It's kind of the same answer that we see in the congregation giving to the apostles. And also, the same idea was given to uh, Moses' uh, um, father-in-law when he came to visit Moses and see how he was running, trying to, to, um, to, um, to, do, uh, to lead the people. He said to him, look for able men for, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate bribe, and plus such men over the people as chief of thousands, of hundreds, of fifty and tens, and let them judge the people all the time, every great matter that they shall bring to you. But any small matter, they shall decide themselves, so that it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden for you. These criteria are very, very important, and we see them even as Paul uh, in, in Titus and Timothy, we present to, uh, to, to, this coming, to these leaders how they needed even to appoint other servants in the, in, the, in the body of Christ. In Titus 1, verse 6 and 9, Paul tells us, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery of insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant and quick-tempered, a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, love of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word of th as taught, 
so that it may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict, can contradict it. My point is, is that the church need, as it chooses, to, as it, as it chooses its, its leaders, servants, and ministers, to look to these criteria that are already established by the word of God, which are moral and spiritual criteria, not based on human um, uh, criteria, which so often are destructive to the, word of, to the word, work of God. Was look into the church, and seven men were presented with responding to this to this criteria. Between these seven, we have Stephen and Philip, and many others which are presented. Interestingly, Stephen, uh, Stephen, and Philip are presented first, and we will see how they will play a, a, a wonderful role in the uh, the spreading of the good news. It's also good to notice that these men are chosen from among the Hellenistic group, meaning the group that feel that he has been injusticized, that he has been wrong through the issue that is happening in the church. And I believe that the church did so with having in mind the question of equity. That makes me think, how do we solve issues among ourselves? Are we always looking to the, uh, those that seems to be always strong and always have reason, or are we looking to the interests of those that at the moment seems uh, um, um, uh, the most vulnerable? These men were confirmed by the apostle. How was the outcome of that uh, resolving of the issue that come? The outcome is given to us in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the people, of the disciples, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So a situation which in the, in the beginning had the potential to destroy the unity in the church of Jerusalem was once more, because of the way that it was solved, was one more an occasion for growth in number and growth in the word of God. Now let's look at the person of Stephen and the testimonial to his ministry. As we do so, as I said, two questions and one question we can ask ourselves, who in fact is Stephen and why is he so important in the rest of the history for Luke? So far, we are in Jerusalem and all the conversion happening has been happening in Jerusalem. Of Stephen, it is said of, of us that he was a Jewish from the Hellenistic group. We find in, in verse 5, he was full of the Spirit of God, that was full of grace and of the power of God. He was doing wonders and miracles like the apostles. He was a man who was truly in communion with God. How can we say that? It is saying in the end of, the, on the, of, the, of, of verse 15 that when people look at him, his face looked like the one of angel, meaning like the face of somebody who was really in communion with God. That was the kind of face that is described of Moses when he was going to meet God 
and that he was coming. The word said that his face was shining. And sometimes Moses will hide his face so that people will not, will not see the glory of God. Uh, so that it, they will not see the glory of God vanishing. So Moses will go, be in the presence of God, come back with a radiant face, and then come, come, uh, come back again. And also we say that this is the same radiance that comes into our face in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can conclude, or I can conclude from that, that Stephen was a man who was full of the presence of God. At the point that people, even his accusers, could see it on his face. I want also to point out that the accusation that he received and the people from whom he has been accused, accused are all also from the Hellenistic group. He said that then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as he was called, or the Cyrenian, or the Alexandrian, and those of Cilicia in Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. That's even more interesting because we see that they could understand probably Greek and that all these things were more very opposed to what the ministry that Stephen was, was, was doing. They will accuse him and then in the next Sunday we will look uh, uh, in the next message how Stephen will present his defense and even if he would present his defense. Interesting for us to know is that this is importance in the upcoming uh, uh, history of Luke because Stephen, he is the starting point of a great persecution that will come in the church of Jerusalem. So far, the persecution had always, always, always been only on the apostles, individuals. But now, it's, coming to, it's going to be spread to the congregation itself. It's also a new opportunity of spreading the word of God and bringing growth to the church of God beyond Jerusalem. We'll see that the gospel will go to Samaria, even to Judea. It's also important because we are from now on going to see the importance of the uh, Hellenistic uh, um, uh, Christian of Jerusalem, what role they are going to play in spreading the good news among the pagans. At 11, 9, and 21 tells us, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose of, uh, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, meaning the Greek-speaking non-Jews, also preaching the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number was believed and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll see how God will use these people from a, a, a cultural background that was not always welcomed to actually spread the gospel in the point that it will reach people like us, non-Jewish, considered pagan, separated from the beginning from the grace of God. Indeed, that shows that God does, doesn't do any favoritism in using people of different culture to do his work. He's the one who created all the families of the earth. The cultural differences and ethnic, ethnicity of human beings 
are actually revealing the glory of his riches. Concluding thought. We are today in RBC, and I just want you to just look around you one minute. Do, don't, don't shy, look around you. We are a small echantillon of a wonderful work that God is doing, has done, and is still doing throughout the world. 20 years ago, as I heard, when you will enter here, you will see people, many of the Anglo-Saxon background, only English-speaking people. Today, you look into that congregation and you see people from Asia, China, from uh, um, Africa, Congo, Ivory Coast, from South America, Colombia. You see people from Europe or who have a European background. I see many of my brothers here are from the Italian descendants. All these people here today. Interestingly, remember we sang, thank you for the cross. This only possible because through Jesus Christ, we are brought together as a body. Yet, I just want also to remember us that that cultural differences that we see among us might sometimes become or might be a point of friction among us. Let us be careful and be sure that as these happen, as we deal with each other, we do so with the sole intent of solving issues in a way that bring equity and that discourage discrimination among us. Our God doesn't make any favoritism in using people for the glory of his name. And he does bring growth to his church through the resolution of problems. It's with this final word that I want to, to leave you, my brother, and I hope that uh, this all is an encouragement for us as we look to the story of Acts chapter 6 and the story of the, of the Church of Jerusalem and as we look to how we do and we can apply it in our lives today. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, indeed we can say thank you for the cross. Indeed we can sing amazing grace, how sweet the song of this, that saved a wretch like us. To see that today, although from different cultural, ethnical backgrounds, we can join here today in this congregation and worship you and praise your name, but also with the call of serving one other, one other because of the fact that in the beginning, you have shown your grace to us, your love to us, not looking to where we are, not looking to differences, of our culture because you understood that as sinners we needed your grace and today we are called your children we praise your name for that we say thank you indeed for the cross father we commit the rest of the day to you and we pray that as we go and as we continue to ponder 
whether in group or individually on your word, that you will help us to grow in love for you and love for your people. Help us to be desiring to strive, do all our efforts as issues arise to solve them with your wisdom, looking for equity in what is honorable and glorifying your name. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen.